I speak to you in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. When I was a child of about seven or eight, I had a near unshakable fondness for board games. Sorry, Clue, Monopoly, it didn't matter. I loved them all. I was just as excited building on Park Place as I was sinking your battleship. Yet, unfortunately for me, not everyone in my family was as eager to play as I was. My siblings would occasionally indulge me, but they had other things on their minds. School, boyfriends, girlfriends, getting their driver's licenses, and so on. My dad entertained my pleas the most, but even he tired of me from time to time. As a family of devout Methodists, my parents raised me in the tradition of the social gospel. And so, one night, notwithstanding the hopeful smile on my face, in the board game tucked under my arm, my dad drove me to church instead. In the dead of winter, the snow on the ground matched the white, austere siding of our colonial church. We were there because our congregation had a long history of participating in a program that united local churches across the region to provide food and shelter for adults experiencing homelessness during the colder months of the year. A big believer in teaching by example, my dad brought me along for his shift that night. When we got to the parish hall, he implored the woman in charge for some way I could be helpful, bringing food to people stuffing bags with toiletries, and so on. But like most little kids, I was occupied for all of about five seconds before I was struck with the worst feeling in the world. Boredom. Terrible boredom. I asked if we could leave, but my dad's shift was far from over. And it was going to be some time before my mom could come and pick me up. So he plopped me in a seat, told me to be patient, and walked away. Woo-hoo, I thought. Moments later, my dad returned. He had a folded chessboard in his hands and a big smile across his face. My eyes lit up. I loved chess. However, the light quickly faded when I learned who my opponent would be. Still smiling, 
My dad pointed across the parish hall at one of our homeless guests and said, that man wants to play chess with you. Like most kids, I was a little terrified at the idea of talking to anyone new, but I really wanted to play chess, and so after a little lobbying, I was quickly on board with the idea. The man was very kind. He asked me what my name was, and I told him. He asked me which pieces I wanted to play, and I said, the white pieces, because duh, they get to go first. And then we played chess for hours. We talked a little bit, but mostly we just played chess. He taught me strategies and moves I didn't know, and he never got tired of my pleas to play just one more game. Eventually, eventually one more game turned into our last game together, and a heartfelt goodbye was exchanged before my dad then drove us home. It's been some time since that cold December night, but the memory is often with me. In acts of Christian mission, we have so much more to give and to receive than a warm meal and a shower. And while I know food and a place to sleep are still needed, still important, so are connection and taking the time to see others and be seen in return. On that night, I learned that it doesn't always have to be clear just who is serving who. And in fact, it's sometimes better when the lines are blurred and that's not clear. For in those moments, I know my God abides and all he asks is that I let the Christ in me meet the Christ in another. In this harried world in which so much beckons for our attention, screaming importance and waving hands wildly, it can be easy to lose sight of the blessed before us. And yet I think repeatedly and all the time, God is begging us to choose presence over our continued preoccupation with far off things. I think God knows that from time to time, we need to slow down, to pause and take a second, because those are often the moments when people receive what they didn't ask for, but desperately, desperately need our presence in this time. Thinking back on it, I am pretty sure that the man I played chess with likely appreciated the meal and the shower and the bed out from the cold. But what I am certain of is that if anyone received charity 
or hospitality or compassion or grace that night, it was me. It was definitely, definitely me. And I know that's true because our scriptures, today's lessons included, continually point us to a definition of hospitality that is deeper and wider than what often seems like hospitality in other contexts. And our lesson from Paul's letter to the Hebrews shows us why. Part of what's interesting about this letter is that we don't actually know who the audience is or even where they lived. But what we do know, what we do know is that they were assumed to have a pretty deep knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures, especially the first five books of the Bible known as the Torah. And actually, if you were to read the letter in its entirety, you'd catch on to this sense pretty quickly because it feels like just about every other sentence is quoting the Old Testament. And the first verses of today's passage from Hebrews are a good example of this. What we hear is the author imploring the community, the audience to stay faithful, to not neglect or walk away from the practice of showing hospitality because of how important it is. That sentiment is summarized in a verse that is often quoted and one that is certainly a favorite of mine. The author says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. You may know this, but the word angel pretty much just means messenger. And so what I love about this verse is that it's a reminder that every person particularly those who may be considered outsiders or who are just simply not known to us, bears the potential to bring us a word, a message from God. A beautiful thought, right? Well, in addition to being beautiful, this verse is meant to recall key references in the Torah like much of this letter does. And the reason it does that is that the author wants to make a point, which is that hospitality and the practice of it is a central value communicated by God in the Bible from beginning to end. Okay, so we now know hospitality is really important. What else should we know about it? Well, in the next verse, the author expands this definition a little further. He intensifies it. He says, Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Remember those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. In other words, hospitality is not just about what you do, though that's important. 
but about understanding yourself and radical solidarity with your neighbor, with every person through a deep well of empathy. Or to put it in less extreme terms, it's about opening yourself up so that an act of hospitality opens a window into the real you. It allows both people to feel fully seen. That's the deeper and wider definition that makes biblical hospitality distinct. Remembering a recent blog post, Sam Alberry speaks to this sentiment well. He writes that there is a difference between what the Bible means by hospitality and what often passes for it in Western culture. He says, too often what we're really doing is not hospitality, but entertaining. We're putting on a good show. But in the Bible, hospitality is opening up our real lives to others, often and especially the stranger, and inviting them in. This is something all of us are called to do. Again, hospitality is opening up our real lives to others, our real lives, and inviting them in. As I said, reflecting back on the story I began with, I am certain that if anyone received charity or hospitality or compassion or grace in the interaction that occurred over that chess match, it was me. It was definitely, definitely me. And the reason why I know that's true is that I feel certain that that very kind man opened his life to me through a love of chess and welcomed me in. I was given the gift of being seen and valued in a way that went beyond entertaining or putting on a good show. A window was opened, and in at least one respect, we were strangers no more. But as is often the case when the Bible talks about hospitality, when it does, it's often with a particular view of what this will mean in relation to the poor, which is where today's gospel passage from Luke takes the conversation next. Speaking in broad strokes, Luke's gospel has a unique lens on Jesus that tends to reflect a number of themes. Over and over again across the entire book, Luke repeats an understanding that God's kingdom is upside down in nature. And he does this by continuing to speak about reversals, where power structures are turned on their heads, where outcasts and the lowly and those of humble means are given preferential treatment. And one of the main ways Luke's Jesus cast this vision of God's kingdom is through a series of parables about banquets, 
meant to show that all, all are welcome at God's table. Well, as you might have noticed, the passage we just heard from Luke 14 is very on brand when it comes to these overarching themes. Occurring now for the third time, we are told that Jesus attends a feast, a banquet at the home of a leader of the Pharisees, and it was likely the case that this meal was a gathering of elites that included a number of well-respected people, perhaps, perhaps even a number of well-respected rabbis like Jesus. Anyways, as the dinner progresses, Jesus eventually tells a parable, and he does this as a response to the gathering itself, because he wants to draw a distinction between this banquet that feels closed off and exclusionary and God's banquet, which understands expansive hospitality, especially for the poor, as a value for all. Sitting at a dinner table where those gathered have taken every opportunity to exalt themselves and jockey for a higher position of social prestige, Jesus calls their bluff. Why? Why are you doing this? He says. Why do you continue to put on a show? I have no doubt you're at a table because you're hungry. But I can promise you, I can totally assure you, that if you continue to clamor and thirst for wealth and social status, and political prestige, then you will always, always be hungry. You will never be filled, and you will eat your life, your true life, in the process. No. No, don't do that. Don't do that, Jesus says. Don't chase after things that will fade away. Listen, I get it. I know that your belly is empty and you want more. But if you want to be filled, if you want to be satisfied, if you want to experience the world with a full heart, then you have to see life the way God sees it. You have to take on a spirit of abundance, not scarcity. You have to look at the tables before you and notice who doesn't have a seat. You have to drop your facade in humility to know the grace of being fully seen. Speaking personally, I have experienced no shortage of occasions where I was tempted to treat mission as a purely transactional thing. Someone needed a dollar, and I had change. Someone needed volunteers, and I had the time. But together with that, 
I think the reason I continue to revisit, to come back to a story about chess, is that that night is a reminder, one I often need, that true mission, that authentic hospitality, requires both parties to be open to the possibility for mutual conversion. I think it's a reminder that beautiful things can happen when we meet each other with a spirit, with a willingness to be transformed by an encounter with the risen Christ. And that's definitely, definitely the gift that that man gave to a seven or eight-year-old me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.